Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, presented by the tech doctor, Ronan Leonard. Hi, welcome to the Irish Tech Podcast. Today I'm talking with Mark Curtis from Accenture. Uh, How's it going, Mark? Yeah, very good, thank you. It's a lovely day. It is. Now, tell me a bit about your, uh, your, your, uh, what, what Fjord does. So Fjord is a design agency. We're part of Accenture Interactive. Uh, we've been going now for 19 years. I founded it with a couple of other guys in London in 2001. And we help um, our clients understand uh, what products and services they should put into the world, um, why people would want them, and then we design them. Yeah. So if you, just to put it really simply, if you you know, use an online bank account or you use a mobile app for a bank, that's the service. Yeah. And somebody needs to design it. And somebody needs to think what goes in and what doesn't go in. And in fact, um, the smaller our digital devices get, the more you have to figure out what stays out rather yeah. than what goes in. That's part of the, so that's one of the things that we do in design is we drive for what we call elegant simplicity. So, you know, make it beautiful, make it easy yeah. and make it relevant. And that's what we do. Yeah, and I guess over the 19 years, technology has changed so much that uh, every, every year something new is coming up that challenges you guys. It's been a very interesting journey, and I, I, I think that the, if you had said to me, I've actually been doing this since 1993, um, you know, and, and that started really with the internet. And if you had said to me back in the mid-90s or even in 2005, the pace of change is going to accelerate, driven by technology. I think I'd have struggled to believe it yeah. uh, because it felt fast enough then. Uh, but, but actually, that is what's going on. I mean, there are plateaus. We're probably on a bit of a plateau of innovation yeah. at the moment. But I confidently expect that to shift, particularly with artificial intelligence, uh, extended realities, uh, things like self-driving cars, autonomous vehicles. So I, I think in robots in particular... I think we'll see, you know, a, a, another upswing very shortly. So, yeah, it's, um, there is no end of change ahead of us, and all of that change needs to be designed. Because I guess years ago, when you were talking about internet, if you had a mobile device, it would be called WAP. And then when they brought out with, with the modern smartphones, remember what, what the modern smartphones, like the iPhone, etc., they gave you the ability to actually look at a website the way it should be looked at properly. Yeah, I, I, I always thought WAP sounded like a dog with a bark defect. Yeah. Uh, it was a, it was a strange acronym, and 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 of course now when people say WAP, they think of WhatsApp. Mm. The, that change in the mid two thousands was quite exceptional, um, and and what I saw at the time was that the um, that what people wanted was fundamentally to be connected to each other, and and at the time we were working on a mobile dating application mm -hmm. and or service, and we actually started it on WAP. And I mean, the interface is terrible because of the you know, WAP yeah. didn't allow you to do really great or interesting interfaces. But when you could connect people, they started communicating voraciously. And it was super clear that if only we could crack the interface problem and the as the technology became better, so people would be using phones many times more than anybody anticipated at that moment, except yeah. probably Steve Jobs. And, and so when... Um, apps transition when we transitioned into apps it, it you know it did release an enormous amount of potential because I can remember the early smartphones like we got some like very old Nokia's and also when you had Blackberries they could use certain things but there wasn't apps for them as such mm. 
and you could develop an app product, but it wouldn't be that great. And now, when you got the ability, when Apple came along, they decided basically, we're going to give you freedom to develop any app you want. Yes. Unlimited, uh, unlimited credibility. Yes. And I think now, actually, we're in another interesting transition phase. So I, um, uh, two weeks ago in the UK, somebody told me about um, a new service which allows you to um, uh, change, your, uh, change your energy provider yeah. uh, really quickly. And I went and um, they told me on the phone, actually, and I sat on a train five minutes later and I thought, I really want to try this. Yeah. And um, and so I, I started having a look, thinking I probably won't complete this on the train. I'll probably look at it another day, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I'd signed up and changed my energy provider in about ten minutes. It was quite extraordinary, and it didn't require an app. It actually all took place over the web. So I think the distinction between WhatsApp and what's delivered by web is also becoming fairly marginal now. Because I've seen there's an ad for uh, for a thing one with the Meerkats compared to market. And they've got this thing where they take where they do skit on on Steve Jobs' presentation, and they've got a, an AI version of them. Says you can go onto our website and we'll do it all for you. So it's kind of like that, which is which is great to see. Yes. Yeah. And also, I saw one recently another ad for a company in the UK that is what you were talking about. But every year, it, it, it will find cheapest cheapest supplier and automatically change you. Yes. No. That's effectively so. It's yeah. called Flipper, and what it effectively it does is it changes you as soon yeah, as they find a cheaper supplier. It's really, really. It's yeah. very interesting, and you can imagine that model. I mean. There are two interesting things about it. One is they've implemented it, they've executed it so well that it was really easy to sign up for, and I haven't looked back since then. And by the way, it's saving me about £350 a year, yeah. so it's pretty significant. Yeah. Um, but the second thing that's interesting is that it's, it's not hard to see that model being applied to other industries. Yeah, because I look at and the technology becomes cheaper for people to use and more open. It's going to be easier for people to do this. Correct. Because I've seen music over the years, years ago, when someone wanted to use a computer, it was like you had a big computer in a, in a big room and you look, you had a dumb terminal, that's it. Nowadays, the technology, you can get a 300-year laptop and do all this. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, and same with smartphones, they've come down in price so much over the years. Which is also why we probably need to be watching voice technology very closely yeah. because we initially make assumptions that we can't do things with what looks like a more narrow band of technology than we could on the, on the broader scale thing of a bigger screen with more keyboard and a mouse, et cetera, et cetera. But it turns out that actually we can do a lot. And I, I'm, I'm not predicting that voice will necessarily take over. That remains to be seen. But it's certainly, as, as, as the implementation of voice gets better and better, so it becomes more and more powerful. But what it does is it changes the way in which we think about the palette of choice that we have in front of us. Yeah. Because choice is a very different thing when you're talking to Alexa, yeah. for example, or Siri, um, than when you're looking at a screen. Yeah, I'm thinking of like Star Trek, where everything in there is voice controlled. And in the movie, fourth movie, when they got back home to work at 86, one scene when, they, when, when they engin- the engineer, Scott, is, is, in, is in an engine office, he's talking, hello, computer, and he can't tell you to talk to the computer, and he's not talking back to him. Yeah. He's used to that. Yeah. Then he goes and does something, and in, in two seconds, he redesigns something that's, that changes the world forever. Yeah, I actually, I, one of our designers used to show that clip yeah. a lot when he was talking to clients and saying, this is the shift that we're going to see. Really great clip. Yeah, and I, I, I think, yeah, kind of that time in 86, voice control wasn't there, but I always think it's only a matter of time. Yeah. Because at that point, the mouse had just sort of started coming into being. Yeah. I'm thinking, well, within about 20 years, the mouse is going to be slightly be replaced, and it's either going to be by the finger or it's going to be by the voice or both. So this is, I mean, this is <clears throat> this is the sort of thing that we talk about when we when we develop our trends. So um, 
we what we're interested in in trends is very much looking at what's going to impact on our work over the next one to two years. What are the things that our customers are going to be asking us to think about when we think about the development of new products and services or the redesign of existing products and services? So, so we're quite we're quite short-term focused quite deliberately. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to spend time gazing into 20 years from now because realistically no one's going to haul you up in 20 years' time. Anyway, I'll be well retired by then, I hope, yeah. um, and say you got that wrong. Um, so so it's, it's much more, I think, punchy to limit your time horizon to the foreseeable and begin to make predictions about the things that we need to focus on now. There, right. And that's what we're doing with trends. I guess if you know basically what is slowly coming come into being, like for example, right now the big <coughs> thing for me is 3D printers that can now print in metal. Mm. So that's something I didn't know they could do, but they can do that now. And mm. I was talking to HP about it last year, they do this, but it's only for commercial use, you can't buy it at home either. But if you're a commercial person building stuff, the fact you can, you can build in metal is going to be a time saver. And I think five years ago that wasn't possible, but it is now. I think 3D printers, I mean, the, the promise of 3D printers is. Um, the, the implications of 3D printers are immense. We've held off really writing any trends about them yet because it still feels a little far out yeah. to be changing the manufacturing process or how the, or the, the pattern of consumption yeah. for most people. But I, I think that'll be there, but it, it still feels... Like it's just a little a little way out in the moment. Yeah, to me it does because I'm still looking there. I'm still thinking of, of a printer, something that that can build a simple Lego brick and nothing more fancy than that. But in reality, it can do a lot more than that. Yeah. But we're yeah. not we're not we're not seeing it in everyday life yet. Yeah. One no. day it'll be part of our ubiquitous. You won't know it's there, but it's there. Yeah, I think you're right. It'll be like in your in your office yeah. in the morning. And you yeah. That's it. There you go. Yeah. And tell us a bit about these uh, about the uh, latest fuel trends and what the key findings were. So we, um, to give you a bit of context, we have about a thousand designers. Um, we're in 28 studios across the world. And um, when we develop the trends, uh, which we always do in September every year, we go out to all of them and get their input. And, and so we get a mass of information coming back. And we ask them to package up the trends into uh, not just, you know, single words, but coherent sense of what they think is happening. And we then do a lot of what I call pattern recognition during late September and October, where we say, well, what is it we're being told here and what are the patterns between those things and, and how do we, how can we talk about these in a narrative which makes sense and, and which are real and which sound interesting but might, might not be ready yet, like 3D printing, or which sound interesting but we can't see any evidence for. So we then focus in on the ones which are very interesting and have evidence and have a strong narrative behind them. And, and we never know how many trends we will pick out in any one year. This year we've got seven. Um, and um, overall those trends have a, uh, a meta theme, uh, which is value. Um, and what we're hearing universally is clients, and this is partly about the innovation plateau that I talked about earlier, Clients basically saying, look, we've invested a lot in digital in the last five years. We can see some signs of success, but we're beginning to ask awkward questions about where is the value um, and how am I going to extract more value from my investment in digital? Yeah. Um, and, and it's there, but, but, but there's definitely difficult questions around um, 
innovation and uh, whether or not innovation is getting to market. So a lot of clients saying, I've got the innovation hub. I'm coming up with loads of ideas. Ideas are no longer our problem. They were three years ago. We've got plenty of those ideas, but I don't seem to be able to get them through my organizational culture and get them out the door into market and then making profit on them. So that's one aspect. The other aspect of value is to look at it from the human perspective, which is what, as an organization, we focus on, which is consumers are looking at things and saying, I'm not sure about the value of this. And we see that in several of the trends this year. So, for example, we see that in the first trend, which is called silence is gold. And there, um, consumers are beginning to ask difficult questions, encouraged by the media, about whether they're overusing screens and overusing digital. Mm-hmm. And this is, imp- I mean, I, <clears throat> in fact, I woke up this morning and turned on the radio here in Dublin. Uh, when I say radio, obviously on my phone. Yeah. Uh, BBC Radio 4, because I'm British, so I wanted to hear that. And The first item on the news was that um, the Ministry of Health in the UK is now, via the Chief Medical Officer, issuing guidance to families in the UK that children should not be allowed to have mobile phones in their bedrooms. Yeah. That's pretty significant. Yeah. And, and so we're seeing a big... And what's happened here has been <clears throat> that... Technology companies themselves, Google, Facebook, for example, definitely Apple, have realized that um, the addiction to phones and technology is something that they can no longer go on um, encouraging people to have. So this is a challenging trend because we're beginning to enter this era where we're saying we've got these big questions over the value we're getting out of what we're doing and whether it's actually just all undiluted good value and perhaps it isn't, but at the same time, a lot of the technology industry is built on, and the marketing industry is built on getting us to use the phones more and more, or, or, or devices. Yeah. And so it, there's a tension inbuilt within this trend, which I think is very, very important. But but it's interesting is that Silicon Valley are woken up, and um, so there are some interesting signs in there. One of them is that um, in Silicon Valley, it's now become routine when people hire a nanny to put in the nanny contract that not only the nanny can't use technology over a certain amount every day, but that he or she also has to make sure that the children of the parents don't overuse technology during the day. So right in the epicenter of what we've been doing for the digital revolution for the last 25 years, you're now getting people going, "Uh uh-oh, we need to be more careful around this. There's even a digital divide in the US. The digital divide used to be, do you have broadband or do you not? Um, you know, are you old and don't use digital? Are you young and do use digital? Those sort of digital divides we talked about 10 years ago. The new digital divide is between people who are overusing devices and, and not and using them less. So um, in the US, if you come from a wealthy background and you're a teenager, you will use your phone, uh, you will use digital devices overall on average about 5.4 hours a day. You will be looking at screens. Yeah. If you come from a less wealthy background, that average goes up to eight hours a day. A massive yeah. digital divide opening up between the wealthy and the less wealthy around digital usage. So this then poses you know, these interesting questions about how we're we using this. And this trend is not going to go away and is something which, as a technology industry, we need to take account of. And as a marketing or communications or service delivery, you know, all companies need to begin to think about how do we get the right communication at the right time rather than expecting people to um, be there all the time whenever we shout at them? Yeah, someone on Facebook recently said they had an app they developed 
they're allowed uh, to, to spy on children under 13 years of age which is, to me was kind of shocking that they were actually doing that and then saying yes we've done this yeah that is interesting um, one of the I mean Google have an app now called Digital Wellbeing yeah. uh, which is embedded in the in Android on the on the settings of your phone which allows you to look at the amount you've used your phone and the results are pretty shocking yeah I've got it on my, my iPhone it comes up and tells me yeah. I've been on the phone and I'm thinking no but he, and it's, it shocks you and see what yeah. time I've been on the phone yeah, is, yeah. and I'm thinking I'm, I'm thinking if I was a kid that could be used to turn up TV just yeah. have that funny funny your face yeah. and the worst thing is as a young person looking at a, at a small device like that it's bad for your eyes yeah, and the more you yeah, work exactly. the day, you get addicted to it. And yeah. then when it has to be charged up and the battery goes down, you have to go and charge it. And if there are different things, it's and you worry if a kid leaves the charge up, are they using charger that that's safe and won't explode or, or do damage? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's one of our trends. At yeah. the other end, so that's very much a social trend. At the other end, um, we we talk about another trend. We talk about is synthetic realities, which is very much a technology-driven trend, but with immense uh, social and business implications. So th- synthetic realities is all about the rise of um, uh, GANs, or yeah. generative adversarial networks. And what we're seeing now is the um, development of the ability to use artificial intelligence to synthetically create images and video of things that don't exist, um, but look real. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> some people would call these deep fakes. Yeah. And, and the development in this area is moving extremely rapidly now. So um, uh, there are, if you go, for example, Quartz published an interesting article on in this about um, developing a synthetic hamburger or a picture of a hamburger. And, and what, what the people who did this were able to do is to create a very compellingly realistic picture of a hamburger that never existed but yeah. looks completely real. Um, and now we're able to do the same thing with human beings as well. So multiple, multiple versions of different human beings, all of which are based on, aren't real, never existed, but based on GANs um, using huge databases of photographs in order to create these these new people. Um, and the same can be done with video. So there's the famous deep fake of Obama saying rude things about Trump, which he never actually said, yeah. and his voice and movements are being manipulated in real time um, by somebody using a GAN, by an eraser using the GAN. So what this does is, it, it, I, I love this trend. I think it goes in two directions. One direction it goes in is... Um, one which is going to spark a lot of controversy and debate, which is um, about reality and fakes and what it means for society if we can't trust what we see anymore. Yeah. Um, now, there is, some, there is actually quite a lot of, you know, both photography and then Photoshop um, were both challenged when they came along as being fake and not real. Mm-hmm. So there is some, you know, our view is that <clears throat> There will be shock and surprise at some of the things that can be done, and then people will get over it. And but but nonetheless, there is going to be a lot of debate in this. So I wouldn't want to skate over that too, or sound like I'm skating over it too lightly. The second area it heads in, which from a commercial perspective is is fascinating, is that this in a, in effect synthetic reality allows us to create. Certainly, as the technology gets better and cheaper 
at speed and at scale content that isn't real, but content that we can specify. In other words, if we want to create now an image of a 35-year-old Afro-American woman who looks sporty, we can do that. But she's not real. Now, what if we wanted to advertise with an Afro-American woman who looks sporty? Yeah. So much cheaper to create one using a GAN than go out and get a model. Mm-hmm. Why would you get a model anymore? Yeah. And if you don't get the model, why do you need a set when you can create, you can create a stage set? Green screen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So why would you then have a photographer? Why would you have a lighting assistant? Why do you have any of those people? You can do all of this stuff, and this is happening fast now. This is going to have immense implications for the content industry right the way across the board. And that then affects, you know, and, and, and it, will, it will create new efficiencies, if you like, in that system. Now, I'm not saying those are either good or bad, but they're certainly going to be pretty interesting. And it goes beyond that. And I think this is where it ultimately gets really interesting is if we can use computers to effectively say, show me a picture of the ideal X, yeah. then actually that's going to affect product design because we will be using artificial intelligence to say, for people who live in Massachusetts of a certain income level, what does the ideal kitchen table look like? Well, as long as they've got enough pictures in the database to be able to match that description, we can create yeah. a picture of the ideal, which means we then know what to build in real life. So uh, synthetic realities is a deep trend, I think, with, with a lot of implications. We're going to hear a lot of noise about it over the next year, but we'll begin to hear some of the commercial implications as well. I'm thinking of fake news. If a community create fake news, like that, if you have like, thing you said with Obama, if during an election action someone comes up against, someone does that with Trump or somebody else mm-hmm. and just discredits them, people might, might actually believe that and then by the time they realise it was fake, it's too late. Yes, that's true. And, um, and I, I think, <clears throat> so... On a, on a, on a, certainly on a very serious note, I mean, that is serious, but for also for organizations, um, there are, as the uh, software becomes more widely available, and I, and I think it will become more, more widely available, um, <clears throat> so the opportunities to create fake news within organizations and about organizations becomes very real. So what if we get the CEO and providing we can get enough video footage of a CEO, then create new video. I mean, there is a there is a there is a thing here which holds it back, which is there's lots of video footage of Obama, yeah. which allows you to create a deep fake around him because there's so much data. Yeah. There's probably considerably less data of the average CEO speaking publicly, but as long as you have enough of that data, then it becomes much easier to create those things. And I think that is going to create uh, communications issues for organisations as well. Yeah, because I'm, th- I'm just right now thinking that right now uh, some media organisations we have in America, like CNN and Fox, they've got a certain bias. And this comes on as three people like Breitbart are going to use this to create a, a new version of the news. So this is where this trend, like I said yeah. earlier, this is where the trend becomes interesting. You kind of kind of take it in two directions. You can take it down the route of, uh-oh, what does this mean for <clears throat> truth and authenticity? But you can also take it down the rule of what does this mean for creating things and or down the road and um, and where are we going to go with, with that and what are the implications for content and companies and marketing and communications? And 
both routes of inquiry are, you know, equally valid. Yeah. Uh, but like all things with technology, you know, advances in technology are never black and white. So, you know, the stuff I said earlier about silence is gold. We've got huge advantages out of having screens and smartphones, um, which, you know, we can do things which were pretty much unthought of 10, 20 years yeah. ago. Um, and I think with silence is gold, all we're saying is there is a downside to this. And actually, socially, we're now beginning to face up to that. Exactly. 20 years ago, the biggest thing for me then was people were talking about using the Blackberries because they could get their email. Mm. But now with a smartphone or a tablet, now you can get you can go, you go and edit and change the attachment files. But 20 years ago, if someone sent you a document, maybe you could look, look at your computer, but now you can actually edit and change it yeah. on the go. Yeah. It's extraordinary. Yeah, and that to me is a, was a big game changer. Yeah. That you can do that. Yeah, I think it is. Anything else you want to add to the podcast? So, um, <clears throat> I would, um, I mean, I uh, just rapidly talk about a couple of the other trends. Um, inclusivity paradox is about the way in which um, we, uh, you know, a, a lot of voices that were previously not heard are now being heard across the world. And the trend towards acknowledging um, and celebrating diversity is, is very, very big in many, many societies. Um, Organisations have not yet caught up with that. They're beginning to catch up with it with, their, uh, with, with things like recruitment and, and, their, and, and their policies at work, but they're lagging behind in the way in which they um, deal with the shift in people's perception of themselves as being unique individuals and still using quite old-fashioned demographic segmentation. Yeah. And as a result of that, there's a disconnect going on. And, and we're going to have to use technology to bridge that disconnect. Again, artificial intelligence poses a lot of, has a lot of potential to bridge that. But we're in an awkward interim where <clears throat> the rise of diversity has happened very rapidly. We now realize we have to treat people as individuals, but we're not yet able to do that, or organizations are struggling to do that. So that's creating that paradox there. Another trend I'd highlight would be one we call ahead of the curb, which is huge shifts in mobility across the world. Mm -hmm. And this is being driven fundamentally by the rise of electricity as a form of uh, power, as power source. Um, I think E is going to be the new I, where we used to iPhone, iPod. Yeah. Well, lots of products beginning with the prefix E are going to arise. Um, <clears throat> if you look at scooters, scooters, electric scooters are now the fastest growing form of transport ever in the history of man. Yeah. It's like the iPod when it started. It was the fastest adopted technology ever. Um, so scooters are now um, taking that, that mantle, and, but in the transport area. But there are other things happening in transport as well. The application of electricity to a wider range of vehicles, um, focus and concern on the last mile in big cities, um, and clutter uh, around delivery. And um, a lot of people beginning to take action on that. Amazon are looking at that in the US. JD.com are looking at that in China. Um, and then the rise of effectively single ticketing. So this is the ability to buy multimodal transport through one ticket. At the moment, the transport experience is largely discontinuous. Um, you know, I get in a taxi, but that's nothing to do with when I get on the plane later today. And that's nothing to do with the train that I'll take later yeah. on. It's three different forms of transport. That's, that era is coming to an end. And people are looking at how you put together single ticketing, which spans across multimodal forms of transport. So that's beginning to create the end-to-end -end travel experience that we've dreamt of for a while, but hasn't actually been in the market. 
So if you just take those three or four things together, you've got these big shifts taking place in mobility, which is going to start creating new mobility ecosystems. And there are opportunities there for insurance companies, for banks, uh, for energy companies in particular, uh, for retailers who are beginning to take advantage of this. Nike are doing this. Um, Muji are t- doing this. New Newcomers coming in and saying, actually, mobility affects and is part of our entire experience, if you're a shop, for example. Yeah. So we need to begin to play in this space. Interesting. Thanks so much for that. Pleasure. Have a great day and enjoy your time in Dublin. Thank you. Always do. Yeah.